G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might be wondering why the church is so dangerous in a place like North Korea. Well, our focus is back today on that nation, North Korea, considered to be one of the, or not even one of, but the worst persecutor of Christians in the world. The brutality of the North Korean dictatorship is breathtaking. Being caught with a Bible can incur penalties like incarceration in a labor camp as a political prisoner. Many Christians even killed on the spot. There's no religious freedom in North Korea. Believers are never allowed to meet for free worship. We might ask why Christianity is seen as an enemy of the state and a threat to the communist dictatorship of Kim Jong-un. Well, two special guests joining us today. Timothy Dilmuth, he's the discipleship pastor for Voice of the Martyrs based in South Korea. He works closely with the underground Christians from North Korea, as well as underground Christians in China, in Southeast Asia and Central Asia too. And also Tony Benjamin is the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia with us in the studio as well. But uh, Timothy, a special welcome along to you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, Tony, let me welcome you as well. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. Timothy, let me come to you because we often will wonder about North Korea. We'll hear things that filter through, uh, detail about the atrocities that are committed by uh, Kim Jong-un as a dictator in North Korea. Are things as bad as we hear? Most of the information that the world hears about North Korea is simply not true. There's not a a lot of good source material that comes out that you can trust. Uh, But that doesn't mean the situation in North Korea isn't bad. Often we say that the truth is worse than than the lies that we read in the media. So I guess the the short way to answer that would be to say, no, everything you read is not true. Um, But sometimes reality, reality is stranger than fiction. It's called the Hermit Kingdom, isn't it? And it's because there is a secretiveness. Uh, these sorts of secrets, as you say, don't always, uh, we don't know uh, what goes on. But when I'm giving an introduction like that and talking about the brutality of a dictatorship like Kim Jong-un's, uh, have I overstretched? Is that true, what I said? Yeah, well, a lot of people, since I've been in Australia, have asked me questions such as, do the North Korean people really believe the lies that the government tells them? And a lot of people have this conception like it would be for believers in China where they could get on the internet, maybe with a VPN and search news around the world and find out the reality of what's happening all around the world. But for North Koreans, that's it's just not possible. There is no VPN. There's no internet to get around uh, the lies that the government feeds them, they they truly believe. In fact, I'll just tell you this really quickly. Often, uh, North Koreans will feel sorry for people in the Western world because they've been told that uh, we're, we're poor, we're starving, and they know that they have an abundance much greater than folks in America or Australia. So these are the, 
the kinds of things that they're taught in school. When we talk about propaganda, uh, it's interesting because we have a, a democracy and uh, we've got propaganda from two sides and we're still making sense of what's true in all of that. But when you're in a a nation state like North Korea, uh, you don't have a choice of things to believe. As you say, even your internet is blocked and controlled. So the people are only hearing one story. So they believe that one story. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. We we also do radio. Uh, we do shortwave radio into North Korea. We also do in China as well. But one of the, the reasons we do that is because the only way for North Koreans to get up-to-date outside news from the rest of the world is through shortwave radio. Um, you can smuggle in things such as USB or SD cards, which have information. But, of course, that's not necessarily up-to-date information. So the only way for them to get up-to-date news from the outside world is to listen to shortwave radio. Shortwave radio has a major role to play because it doesn't have any barriers. Uh, Do people in North Korea have shortwave radios in order to listen? So about 25% of the population listen to illegal radio inside of North Korea. And I, I say illegal radio because it is very dangerous for them to do so. Uh, They often have to do it in the secrecy of their own homes. We know people who would listen to shortwave radio underneath the covers, the blankets of their home. But it's dangerous because in North Korea, uh, neighbors, even family members report on each other to the government. So to do anything like this is extremely dangerous. But yes, they do have shortwave radios. Uh, Before coronavirus, it was more possible to smuggle those kind of things in from China. So even though it was completely illegal, you could bribe border guards. Uh, So uh, illegal shortwave Chinese radios could be smuggled into China. And then there were also um, legal radios that would be pre-tuned, preset to one particular station. But if you knew anything, you know, you could open it up and and un- unrig the set uh, that they would put to that particular government station. So those shortwave radios that are allowed are on one set station. That's yeah. probably so, so typically the ones that are allowed would be set to AM radio. Um, so we we actually did both for quite some time, AM radio and shortwave radio. Um, the, the downside to AM radio is that when you broadcast on a particular station, you're set to that station and the government can block that effectively, uh, reducing the effectiveness of that one station. But shortwave, we have a little bit more flexibility with how we react to the government jamming. Are the penalties for having a shortwave radio anything similar to like having a Bible? Yeah, well, I, the North Korean government is really concerned with connection to the outside world, information from the outside world, connection to the outside world. They would be most concerned, of course, with connection to Christian uh, missionaries in the outside world. So it's all very dangerous. The, you know, the, the biggest crime in North Korea is being a Christian or having contact with a missionary. Uh, so Christian radio, especially dangerous. I've often toyed with these thoughts that if Christianity is considered an enemy of the state, uh, if it's considered to be uh, on such a level that it needs to be outlawed because it is a threat to the regime, I wonder why uh, world governments that are trying to uh, see some sort of freedom come to light for the North Korean people 
don't focus on Christianity all the more. Uh, Is there something in the thinking of leaders in this field that sort of dismisses Christianity as the answer to the problem in North Korea? Definitely at Voice of the Martyrs, we consider it the answer. Of course, just from a Christian perspective, we know that God's word is powerful. We know the truth of Jesus Christ. But it's even more interesting for North Korea because Kim Il-sung, the original leader of North Korea, was from a Christian family. And so he built the North Korean regime upon a distortion of the Christian faith. He liked a lot of the form, a lot of the things in church, although he wasn't a believer. So, for example, he made a hymnal of over 600 songs in praise of himself, and many of those songs would have come from the Christian faith tradition. Uh, He continued the tradition that we have of going to church every Sunday, but instead of church, they would be weekly self-criticism meetings. Even many of the stories that come from the regime were were taken from us. For example, when Kim Jong-il, his son was born, it was said he was born in a log cabin and a star appeared above the log cabin. So that's why we particularly feel like the Word of God is especially important in North Korea because it's truly the only thing um, that can reveal the lie that the North Korean regime was built upon. Well, I've never ever thought of or had a conversation about the dimension that the religion of North Korea that keeps Kim Jong-un in power actually may be uh, some level of distortion of a Christian faith. And I know that there was, in fact, um, there was, in fact, revival in North Korea going back over 100 years. I'm not sure how your history is, but uh, what do you, uh, how do you reflect on, on the fact that at North Korea there was revival and it was very, very Christianized in the time before Kim Jong-il? Most people think Christianity started in South Korea. Uh, we have 10 of the 11 largest churches of the world, but they don't realize that Christianity began on the Korean peninsula in North Korea. And so during the Korean War, when many North Koreans fled North Korea and came to the South, that's where many of our churches uh, came from. They were actually started by North Koreans that had come down. So, yeah, the birthplace of Christianity is in the North, and um, Christianity has survived many generations uh, from that original time, even though the Kim regime has tried to exterminate it. Let's talk about the Kim cult here for a moment, because if there are those similarities to Christianity, and I know that the religious environment in North Korea is called Juche. Correct. Uh, It's a similar sort of thing to emperor worship. And so emperor worship in the Kim Jong-un sense, if you take it back to his grandfather Kim Il-sung, is a little bit like the, the, the Kims are uh, like their own version of Jesus Christ. Is that is? I mean, am I digging too deep here? Sure. Most people think of North Korea as religionless. Of course, it's a communist government. And if you ask a North Korean that has come from the North, they'll, they'll say something similar. Uh, but the truth is, you're right, that the North Korea is possibly the most religious country on the planet. And the religion is Juche. Literally translated, it means self-reliance. But there's an element of uh, worship, uh, honor, reverence towards the Kim family, specifically Kim Il-sung. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. 
And I want to open our talkback line too. Uh, you might have a question, you might have a comment. This might sound absolutely uh, unreal to you. You might want to just stand in some level of solidarity with our special guests today. Timothy Dilmuth is our guest, discipleship pastor for Voice of the Martyrs based in South Korea. Tony Benjamin's with me in the studio too. He's the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Timothy, let me just invite you to share something here. Because even the way I describe these things in the introduction, uh, the brutality of a regime that wants to uh, be self-preservation oriented, uh, the brutality, I mentioned the word breathtaking, uh, it's almost hard to imagine just how severe it is for Christian believers. Uh, Take us into some of the brutality that Christians face when they are part of an underground movement of church in North Korea. Sure. We have one North Korean woman who's with us in South Korea, so she's a part of our ministry in South Korea. And her husband was an underground Christian in North Korea. He had went to China at one point, and before the coronavirus, it was actually possible for North Koreans to go back and forth into China. Some would escape, just like you read the stories of those who escape. Others might have a a real travel visa into China or be able to bribe the border guards. And and so North Koreans would often go back and forth into China. And this lady's husband became a Christian when he was in China. He received a Bible, he met Christians, and he was so excited by his new faith that he brought a Bible back into North Korea. And he began telling his family members about Jesus, which, which is quite dangerous, but he even told some of his friends about Jesus. Now, North Koreans have a saying, and that saying is where two or three are gathered, one of them is a spy. And um, unfortunately, someone reported this man. And essentially what happened was uh, that he was taken and never heard from again. In other words, if, if you're a Christian or if you have a Bible or you have had contact with missionaries outside of North Korea, there's, there's no trial it's a worse crime to be a Christian than it is to be a murderer in North Korea. And, and so this man had no trial. He was just taken. He was taken to a concentration camp, and he was simply never heard from again. Uh, so that's, that's what happens, is that if you're a Christian, you're taken away, and, and you're just never heard from again. Where two or three are gathered, that's a popular saying, isn't it? As Christians, uh, where two or three are gathered, there is Christ in the midst Is it discouraged among ordinary North Koreans to even have close friendships? Yeah, you know, especially within within a Christian context, um, Christian families will often not even tell their children that they are Christian because the danger is so high. So uh, many families wait until the child is at least 16 years of age because, for example, school teachers are trained to ask leading questions of children to find out if they're from a Christian family. So often a teacher may ask a question like, does anyone in your family close their eyes and bow their heads and give thanks for the meal? Now, all North Koreans would give thanks before a meal, but they would do that with their eyes open, looking up at the wall of their home that have pictures of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and give thanks to them for the bounty that was provided. If a family closes their eyes and bows their head, 
then the teacher would know they're immediately a Christian family. So Christian families have to be very careful. They're very good at knowing what to say and what not to say in particular situations. There are consequences if you are arrested for being a Christian. Is there any reward that happens for people who do dob in their neighbors, uh, who tell the authorities that there is a Christian family, or for that school teacher who's doing you know, the police beat in the classroom? Is there reward for those people? Sure. So part of the Juche religion and these weekly self-criticism meetings is the fact that all North Koreans have to report on each other to the government. And so if, if you have a good friend, for example, that you really like, you still have to report on your good friend. And so... Uh, you would work really hard to find the right thing to report. You know, you, you don't want the report to sound uh, not believable or too easy, too light of a thing. And yet if it's too heavy, too uh, too difficult of a thing, then you could be sentencing your friend uh, to camp, concentration camp. So you try to find the things that won't be as offensive, that may have a light sentence to report. But yes, every North Korean has to report on each other. Concentration camps. Uh, I mean, the image that comes to mind are those things that we've seen from World War II, the Holocaust, uh, Hitler, the Nazi regime, uh, the extermination of uh, the Jews. When we think of those images, is there similarity to the sorts of concentration camps that we might think about in North Korea? Yeah, it's certainly brutal. Um, but, you know, I, let me let me tell you what the Lord is doing inside the concentration camp. So we had one particular lady, um, an older Christian lady, who was sentenced to a concentration camp. And just for perspective, we estimate there to be about 100,000 Christians in North Korea, 30,000 of which are in concentration camps. The other 70,000 know that one day they will probably end up there. And now a lot of Christian, not a lot of North Koreans, uh, let me say, escaped from North Korea over the years and continue to want to escape. But it's interesting that most North Korean underground Christians want to stay in North Korea. They believe it's their calling. They are Christ's light to their people, even though they know that they'll end up in the concentration camp. So this one lady that I mentioned did, she ended up in the concentration camp. Once you end up there, you're you're never heard from again in most cases. But this particular lady, her son, really wanted to get her out of the camp. And it's possible in some extreme cases it takes a lot of money. We don't recommend this because, uh, you know, if you if you engage in this kind of thing, then the price just continues to go up and the North Korean government capitalizes on this. But this lady's son was able to get her out of the camp. Uh, she couldn't leave North Korea, but she was able to get out of the camp. And do you know what she said? Uh, to her son and to us, she said, why did you do that? And it seemed like an obvious answer, but she told us Christ is just as real inside the camp as he is outside of the camp. You are involved in pastoral ministry, pastoral care, discipleship for an underground church. Timothy, how can, if, if, if it's so closed, how do you have opportunity to be able to be a minister into the lives of these people. Yeah, and let me just say, I'm blown away by this opportunity every day. You know, I feel that I certainly grow and I benefit a lot more than the people that I work with. In other words, it's not that they they need uh, so much from us. I think we need so much from them. When our ministry was started, we met a group of North Korean underground Christians. 
And the first thing we said to them was, how can we pray for you? And they said to us, pray for for us. We pray for you. And we said, well, why would you pray for us? You know, we're American and we're, we're South Korean Christians. We have money. We have power. What do you need? We can get it for you. And they said, that's just your problem. Uh, you have money. You have power. All we have is Jesus Christ, and we found him to be sufficient. The courage that it takes to be in confinement, uh, in a concentration camp, and to have their focus only on Jesus. Is there a certain sense in which the Juche religion, the worship of Kim Jong-un, is completely uh, replaced by worship for Jesus? And uh, there's no there's no middle ground there. Is that why they can have those sorts of attitudes? Is that why they can have a heart towards God and, and even think that we're the ones who are disadvantaged? Yeah, you know, um, many of the underground Christians uh, that we know in North Korea have been Christian for generations. You know, they like we had talked about the Pyongyang revival earlier in the episode. And so these families have passed down their faith from generation to generation. In fact, they planned this. That was the amazing thing. When Kim Il-sung was consolidating his power and they could see what was happening, they specifically made plans. How are we going to pass on our faith to the next generation if we're not allowed to have a Bible, if we can't meet together for worship. So North Korean underground Christians foresaw what was coming in the future and planned for the continuation of the faith through generations underneath this kind of regime. Is that by telling stories? Is it by scripture memorization? How does that happen? Yeah, absolutely. A big part of that is scripture memorization. In other words, it's in many cases so dangerous to have a physical copy of the Bible that they put that to memory. And so they they memorize specific verses. They also, of course, memorize stories and pass those stories on onto their children. They would also even memorize something like the Apostles' Creed because that contains many of the core truths from the Scriptures. And so they, they memorize things like that and then pass them on to their children. Timothy, I mentioned that you could be shot on the spot as a Christian. Is this an exaggeration? Or is this the stories you're hearing frequently? Well, interesting. During the coronavirus, North Korea did have an order to shoot on the spot anyone attempting to come back into North Korea. Uh, So remember, before I had shared that people would often go back and forth across the border, but in an effort to keep the coronavirus out, they would shoot to kill anyone who tried to come back in, and they did. But interesting, as far as Christians are concerned, we we read a lot of stories with large-scale executions, with North Korea killing people on the spot. But I'm not saying those things have never happened, but the truth is the majority of the time Christians are quietly taken away to concentration camps to never be heard from again. Uh, Most of the stories that we hear coming out of North Korea like that is stories from the North Korean government themselves. They they always have a purpose. They always have a reason to release stories like that. And and who knows the reason? We we can't really guess what Kim Jong-un is doing, why he's releasing particular stories at particular times. But many of those stories are sensationalized. They're, they're not the reality of what's happening on the ground. So in order to control and contain people by fear, having these sorts of stories actually can be an advantage to the regime. So if someone is caught with a Bible and shot 
in front of their family, uh, that might make a headline in North Korea, uh, a fear factor involved there? Sure. You know, many people around the world have often talked about Kim Jong-un and the Kim family like they're crazy, uh, crazy Kim Jong-un. But the truth is they're very smart in the way they release information. They're very smart in how they deal with other governments around the world. They always have a purpose for what they're doing. And of course, ultimately, the purpose is to keep the Kim regime alive. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome along. Yeah, good night, Brother Tim and Brother Neil. God bless you both and all the listeners that are tuned in right now. Brother Tim, I have a question for you that I'd like to put to you. We're aware of the awful and horrible human rights abuses uh, by countries that are unfriendly to Western democracies. But uh, I remember 80 years ago something called FDRs for freedoms. Why aren't they held up as highly as what they were back then in, during World War Two, And I'm talking about four beautiful portraits commissioned by Franklin Delano Roosevelt called the Four Freedoms, and the most sacred of all of the four would have to be freedom of religion. Now, that seems to have has disappeared gradually. Um, uh, you know... Uh, Steve, you're making a good point here. Let's hear from our guest. Uh, so uh, when we're talking about uh, these four freedoms, uh, portraits, uh, thoughts here from you, Tim, are you familiar with this? Now, human rights, of course, we would all agree are extremely important. And, and when you read some of the things that happen to North Koreans, not just Christians, but even regular North Koreans is horrifying. Uh, But I want to flip this on its head a little bit. We had one underground Christian who came to South Korea. And remember, I said most underground Christians stay in North Korea, but this man came out, came to South Korea, democracy, uh, freedom of religion. And he told me, he said, it's harder to be a Christian in South Korea than it is in North Korea. And I said, what are you talking about? But he said, you know, in, in free democratic societies, capitalistic societies, there's lots of other temptations. Right, that that um, call to us, that draw us away from the Lord. We begin to rely on many of the comforts provided to us by these kind of societies. So he said that it was harder for him to follow Christ in South Korea than it was in North Korea. Isn't that shocking? It's shocking, but there's another dimension to that. It may actually be easier to be a Christian if you are so insular, but you certainly are restricted in your ability to share your faith. And so a great commission element certainly is restricted. And I imagine that when we talk about freedom of religion, that's one of those things because a restriction of that gospel and kingdom going forward is something that we all always ought to work against. Yeah. And I, you know, we never want to compare the difficulties that we go through with anything that North Koreans go through. But I think we've all experienced this, haven't we, where we've gone through a a difficult time in our lives. And and where do we go, right? We're we're drawn to the Lord. We're drawn to rely on his power and providence in our lives. And and that difficult situation uh, kind of hones us in, brings us closer to the Lord. And and so I think this is what you see in a lot of persecuted countries around the world. They, They have nothing else to rely on but Jesus Christ himself And of course, if you only rely on Jesus Christ, then your faith will grow. 
And so within the family unit, this is a really powerful thing, I guess, for us to glean from today. What happens in your family is so, so important because even if as parents you can't tell your children that they that you are a Christian, a time must come, perhaps beyond their school years, when you have that family gathering and when those values begin to be passed on to the next generation. I imagine that working with families is something that, you know, as a as a pastoral discipleship leader, this is something you're uh, intimately involved in, Tim. Yeah, you know, our family's life was really challenged by working with Chinese Christians, North Korean Christians, because we saw how they operated in the family structure. And, you know, for, for many Christians around the world, um, not that they're not good Christians, but it, it tends to be a Sunday event. Uh, but for North Koreans and Chinese underground Christians, it's a daily event within the family. The primary place of worship takes place in the family. That's where they're they're reading or memorizing the scriptures. They're praying together. And that really serves to make the family unit very, very strong. Uh, I haven't thanked Steve. Thank you so much, Steve, for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts to offer around a conversation about North Korea. Let me come back to some of the ways in which the Bible is available in North Korea, and it's not available at a store. In fact, you had some really amazing, unique, creative ways of getting the Bible into people's hands uh, by sending up hot air balloons and drifting them across into North Korea. And uh, wherever they landed, people would be able to find this shipment of balloons. But even that's getting tougher and tougher, isn't it? Yeah, I could talk all day about this, so just stop me when you need to stop me. (laughs) But this was actually one of the things that North Korean underground Christians asked us to do. So this wasn't even our great idea. In fact, the governments, North and South, have been sending propaganda balloons to each other for years. So North Korean Christians said, don't send us the propaganda, but send us the Word of God. And, you know, that alone is inspiring to me because— They know how dangerous it is to have a Bible, and yet that's what they're asking for. They say, you know, send us these resources. We will pay the price. So since the beginning of our ministry, we did just that. We would send Bibles in balloons. Now, we're talking about weather balloons. So weather balloons, you know, thousands are sent every day all across the world. And uh, so there's a lot of great technology with these balloons. We know exactly where they're going before they're sent. Uh, you know, as the balloon goes up in the air, it gets bigger and bigger because of the pressure. At what point it pops and the Bibles fall down, we know exactly where the Bibles are going to go. So there's a lot of technology related to this, but we've been doing this for years. Um, everyone knew we were doing it. We're, we're, you know, we weren't hiding anything. The police would often, South Korean police would often help us with these balloons. But in 2020, our CEO was arrested for this balloon work. In 2021, one year later, they officially made it illegal. But get this, not just balloons. They made any passing of information to North Korea illegal. So for us, that means any way to get a Bible into North Korea is illegal. Of course, it's illegal in North Korea. But from South Korea, any method, any means to bring a Bible into North Korea is illegal. It might be worth us just stopping and reflecting on this for a moment because we would know South Korea as one of those nations in the world where some of the 
biggest expressions of the Christian church actually are. And so we might be thinking, how does the South Korean government then outlaw the Bible going into the North? Is there a diplomatic reason around that? They're trying to keep good relations with the North or keep lines of communication open. Why would the South outlaw Bibles going into North Korea? So in Korea, we we like to joke and say, Voice of the Martyrs, we're not uh, you know, no government is a fan of a voice of the martyrs, uh, whether it be the South Korean government or the North Korean government or the U.S. government, uh, because we tend to focus on one thing and one thing alone, and that's the gospel. That's the Bible. That's what underground Christians have asked us for. And and so we don't really fit into uh, a particular government's plans for a particular region. So, you know, back in the day, and this is quite a while ago, we would get calls from the South Korean government asking us to launch uh, launch Bibles into North Korea. And sometimes they would call and ask us to stop. And depending on, on what was happening politically at the moment, you know, if they were trying to be careful about offending North Korea at that moment or if they wanted to offend North Korea at that moment. And so we would always say, listen, when the weather is good, we're going to send Bibles to North Korea. It's not going to be based on any particular political strategy at a particular time. We just want to be faithful to do God's word as he's called us to do it. So the restrictions mean that the shortwave radio broadcasts are the primary way that you can communicate with people who are behind the borders in North Korea. That's that's the only way now that is yeah, so legal. Out, outside of North Korea, so being in South Korea, shortwave radio is the only thing that's legal. Uh, that has been threatened to be made illegal as well. So Voice of the Martyrs, though, we're committed to getting the Bible into difficult countries, not only North Korea and China, but all around the world. So as far as North Korea is concerned, we simply say we remain committed to getting the Bible into North Korea, but we just can't talk about what we're doing or how we're doing it. <sighs> It's one thing, isn't it, for people who are in North Korea to have some access to a very secret Bible and they're passing down knowledge from one generation to the next. They're memorizing scripture, as we talked about a little earlier, and passing these things down and uh, you know, learning uh, things like the early ecumenical creeds. There are some ways, just reflecting on some past conversations, where there are those who have either escaped or they've been allowed out on some special visa, you've taken opportunity to have some high-intensity training for people before they're back into North Korea. Does that still go on? Yeah, so we do quite a bit of work all over. Now, in South Korea, we have over 30,000 North Korean defectors that have escaped all the way to South Korea. So in South Korea, we have training schools, and one of the training schools is a missionary training school. So we train them to be missionaries to their own people. And I'll just tell you really quick, this is my favorite story. One of my students, and I say my students, but she's now probably 86 years old. When we started these schools, the Lord would send us a lot of older North Korean defectors. And and we were like, Lord, why don't you send us these young people? But the Lord knew what he was doing because in Asian cultures, those who are older are respected tremendously. So we have these elderly North Korean women who now are doing missionary work in China and Russia. And because of their age, they're instantly seen as everyone's mother or grandmother. So we have one lady who graduated the program and 86 years old. She asked us to send her to China to be a missionary. And we said, no, just stay here with us. You know, you can do a lot of good here. 
She finally said that she was going to China to do ministry work, whether we sent her or not. And we said, you know, it's so dangerous because she'd be meeting North Koreans and Chinese. And she said, I'm 86 years old. I'm ready to go home to the Lord. I don't care what happens to me. So this this is the faith uh, of a lot of the North Korean defectors who have come out now who want to reach their own people with the gospel. That's that faith that says, what have I got to lose? I might as, might as well go and sow my life into my service for my king. Hey, you mentioned China. You even mentioned Russia. And uh, I mentioned Southeast Asia and some of the challenging environments that there are in some Southeast Asian nations. But North Korea had a special role in some of the work for Voice of the Martyrs. Give us a little impression here. What sort of difference it has made ministering into North Korea into all of these other contexts, including Russia. Sure. So we now do quite a bit of actual Russian ministry with Russian pastors, who uh, Protestant pastors who are persecuted for their faith. Uh, many church buildings are being torn down. Russian pastors are, are being arrested on a, a number of different charges, such as psychological abuse of their prisoners, or uh, being a part of an uh, organization that the Russian government has deemed um, bad, you know, so to speak. But our, our ministry in Russia and China began because of our North Korea work. Many North Korean workers were sent to Russia by the government. So these are not people who escaped. They were sent by the government, and they're working bad jobs that not even Russian wants, wants to do. The, these North Korean workers have to send 90% of their salary, over 90%, back to North Korea. And so they're often living and working in very bad conditions. They're, they still have minders watching every move that they make, and they would still pledge loyalty to the Kim regime. And so there are these worker communities all over China and Russia. So we would do a lot of work. We would bring our North Koreans from South Korea to Russia and China to reach these North Korean workers. Uh, come back to North Korea here, because uh, when it is so difficult to be a Christian in North Korea, uh, when you know that being caught with the Bible might mean going into a concentration camp, uh, we're mindful that surveillance is reaching uh, very control uh, level proportions in places like China. And uh, as I've spoken to other leaders around persecuted Christians, surveillance is becoming so, so prevalent, uh, it's been very, very hard to be secret any longer. Uh, how do you reflect on surveillance, and maybe not just in North Korea, but in places like China and other uh, communist dictatorships where Christians are actually coming into even more pressure? During the time of the coronavirus, particularly in North Korea, uh, surveillance and security on behalf of the North Korean government really increased. So it's it's much harder today for a North Korean than even it was only four years ago. And the same is is true even more so in China. You know, um, China now has facial recognition cameras, which which I'm sure you've you've heard about. And the way they track people almost makes it virtually impossible for underground Christians to gather together in apartments like they used to. So for example, We've heard of cases now where Christians will gather together in an apartment in China. But the way the Chinese government is able to track that is through people joining the Wi-Fi network. So you got 20 people all join a Wi-Fi network in a particular apartment. The government knows what's going on. So those those particular 
things, especially in China, make it extremely difficult for the underground church to operate in the same way it did five or ten years ago. Uh, Tim, let me ask you what for some might be an obvious question, but I know that there'll be a lot of hearts moved by the sorts of things they're hearing you share today. And we might all be saying, as an Australian audience, what can I do? Uh, Is there something here? I mean, connecting with Voice of the Martyrs, that's going to be a, a step here. But what do you say to people who say to you, Tim, what can I do? Yeah, so there's several things that are really important. Certainly connect with Voice of the Martyrs because, like I mentioned before, almost all the news that you read in international respected news sources about North Korea is just wrong. So with Voice of the Martyrs, we we make sure to verify our stories by two or three external sources. So the information that, that we're providing is accurate. Of course, the obvious thing is pray. Pray for our brothers and sisters. They're, they're praying for us. Um, and then I, I'd say the final thing is that make this a part of your life. Hebrews 13.3, remember the prisoner. So in your daily life with your family, make it a practice to, to remember your brothers and sisters in places like North Korea and China. Teach your kids about this. Share this information with your pastor and people at your church. It's amazing to hear these insights today. And for listeners, when you hear Don't believe all the propaganda, but there is a place you can go to get that Christian twist, that twist Christian spin uh, on what is going on truthfully that's coming out of North Korea. And uh, we might point listeners to the Voice of the Martyrs website, vom.com.au. What do you believe about North Korea? Well, you might believe what our guest is saying today, vom.com.au. I did mention a supporters dinner that's coming up even this Saturday night in Brisbane at Victoria Park in Hurston in Brisbane. Uh, Tony Benjamin, CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia. Tony, you've got a number of these supporter dinners coming up. I guess this is another way to get on board, to hear the stories and to be able to be a supporter in prayer and even financially too. Uh, How are your bookings looking for Saturday? night's dinner in Brisbane the bookings are looking okay but we'd like to see more people there and uh, you guys will have the opportunity to hear from Tim uh, some of which you've heard now and also from some of our project partners who do work in the Middle East and um, in that part of Asia so yeah please come along it'll be great to meet you guys the purpose of the dinner is so that we can connect with you guys and you can get to know us and that's really the purpose of the dinner and we have some free material which we can give you along the way. And I mentioned too that there's a supporters dinner happening in Sydney on the 5th of August and in Melbourne on the 12th of August. Are there some more of these coming up through the year in different capital cities as well, Tony? No, that will be it for us for the year. Uh, We've just completed one in Perth last weekend which was very successful too. And um, during the coronavirus period we were not able to have these dinners of course but we've restarted them again And we will continue to them, um, you know, just as God leads. Yeah. Well, certainly for people who are listening around the Brisbane region, the Sydney region and the Melbourne region, you might want to check out how you can be a part of one of those supporter dinners. Uh, vom.com.au. VOM stands for Voice of the Martyrs, vom.com.au. 
uh, to our two special guests, Timothy Dilmuth, the Discipleship Pastor for Voice of the Martyrs based in South Korea. Timothy, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. It was great to be here. And to Tony Benjamin, the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia. Tony, thanks so much for bringing Timothy into the studio. And, uh, you know, our prayer is going to be for God's outpoured favour and blessing on the good work that you do here in Australia and for the work of Voice of the Martyrs around the world. Thanks for being with us, Tony. Thank you, Neil. It's a privilege and a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.